Welcome to Bowling Springs Baptist Church, where we learn and grow together in Christ. We now join the church in worship. Psalm 16, verse 5 says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is good. And we are here today to worship him. And I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you to our morning worship service at Bowen Springs Baptist. We welcome our members and our guests, and we're just glad that everyone's here. If you are visiting with us today, there is not a tab on the bulletin like normal, but I'd like for you to reach out in front of you, and there is a care slip out there, and just put some information about you so that we can get to know you and allow you to get to know us also, for those of you who uh, want to share names with our care ministry, I would invite you to fill out those care slips as well so that we can continue to minister to um, those around us. We want to be able to continue to do that. Grab your bulletin. I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm going to hit some of the highlights, uh, some things that are going on this week. But before I get into those, I want to say a couple of updates to let you know about our scouting for food results that took place yesterday. We were over the 2,100 pound mark. So we were grateful for the donations to our food pantry, which will give us the ability to assist those around us who are in need, and we're glad to be able to do that. If for some reason your food didn't get picked up yesterday, please don't hesitate to drop that off here at the church, and we'll add that to our food pantry. Operation Christmas Child continues this week. We'll have a collection times this afternoon and first thing in the morning. But so far, we have had... 2,200 boxes dropped off here to the church. We loaded 128 shipping cartons yesterday, so God is continuing to bless in that, and for that we're grateful. I want to remind you of our evening uh, activity tonight, our annual Gardner Webb Thanksgiving dinner, where we will host students, faculty, and staff from Gardner Webb to join us for supper tonight. We need covered dish and some desserts, so please bring some food so that we can have enough to, uh, to feed and enjoy our time together tonight. That starts at 6 o'clock, so come prepared for that. There will be no Wednesday services, no midweek services this week because of our community Thanksgiving service, which will take place Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Trinity Baptist Church. Jim will be bringing the message, and we'll have a community choir that will sing, and I believe they'll be practicing. What time are they gathering? Six... Six o'clock? Yeah, I think it's six o'clock if you want to sing in the community choir over at Trinity. They'll be running over a song, so um, make, make note of that. Please make note of the office closings for this week, uh, which are listed in your bulletin. Also, reminder that next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. We roll quickly into the preparation season of getting prepared for Christmas. And with that comes 
decorating our sanctuary, and so we'll need some help doing that this week. So please get involved in that. Joan Parrish and the Chris Mon Committee are uh, leading that up, so we want to make sure that that gets done. And, you know, the old saying, many hands make light work, so let's get many hands involved, and that way we don't have to bear the burden on just a few. So keep that in mind. Um, many of you are hearing about our Broughton Christmas ministry in Sunday school. So if continue to prepare for that, that'll be December the 10th. There's a sign-up sheet outside my office door so that we can be host families to those guests that come on December the 10th. So I need you to, to do that so we can make sure that we're good hosts on that evening. All right, I think that's all in announcement way. So let's continue in worship and we're going to move into our mission moment. Good morning. Very good. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to take a few moments with the mission moment, and I want to pay a compliment publicly to Ellen Humphreys if she's in the, in the auditorium. But I thought last week she had a very profound statement that she made, that every interaction that we have in many ways is a mission moment. It's a moment where we share the gospel uh, as a word of encouragement, and I, I, that was just very, to me, very profound to rethink of it in those particular um, ways. Coming up, one event I want to share with you that really is a mission moment, a mission opportunity. On December the 5th and the 6th at 7 um, p.m., there will be a music presentation uh, by uh, Dr. Joe Webb, an ensemble including uh, Matt Whitfield, that will be presenting uh, some Christmas music that was especially popular in the, 19 in the 1940s and forward. And one of the things that Dr. Webb wanted to be sure to make people aware, this is in some ways not sacred music. This is popular Christmas music that would develop when the world was in turmoil, when the world was at war, when the world was coming out of a great depression. And yet it was music that lifted spirits and perhaps pe began people to think about Christmas and the coming of the Christ child. And for a moment, I began to think about, well, it is, Joe is correct, it is in some way secular or it's not sacred music, but then I want to pose a counter-argument. I think this can be a very sacred moment. Sacred moments come when we recognize the presence of God. This is an opportunity for our church to have fellowship with one another, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, to enjoy laughter, to enjoy shared memories. It's also an opportunity for us to invite those who aren't a part of our regular congregation to a festive time. And so I want you to think of this uh, Christmas music that we'll be doing as it's an example of evangelism. It's an example of gospel in the sense that we are sharing the best of who we are in this vein uh, through, uh, through the, op to the opportunity of invitation. But also, one of the things, this is uh, completely free, but one thing that we're trying to do is to continue what I hope will become a tradition at Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We did it for the first year uh, last year. Uh, but we went to the 
uh, emphasis last year of trying to provide canned hams for needy families during the month of November and December. And so again, this is an opportunity to share just a little bit of something that may be more special to people in need. So if you are able to, to bring a canned ham or any other canned goods certainly would be appreciated. But this is a rare, well, it's not a rare opportunity, but it's an, a, a unique opportunity for us to see that the way we live our lives in laughter and in fellowship can be a reflection and perhaps point the way or mirror to people the kingdom of God. And so I hope that you will join us in taking moments that might appear secular, but somehow through God's power, they are transformed into the sacred. Thank you. Call the church office to make your reservation. Thank you. Let's continue in worship by taking our hymnals and turning to number 637 as we sing, Come, you thankful people, come and join as we sing together. 637. Let's stand, please.
All right, any kids want to come down for children's sermon this morning? I want to thank Elizabeth for taking care of that last week and for you giving me the opportunity to worship with my family and my grandpa on his birthday. That was a great time for us, and I'm very appreciative of that. All right. <clears throat> well, I want to apologize because I meant to grab uh, something else to use. It, it, this will do the same thing, but it's not quite as effective. Um, this is obviously a phone, but this phone has multiple um, uses, and one of which I, I use mine for frequently, and I'm sure you've seen it done, is the camera feature, where you take pictures with your phone. I mean, it's really cool. Um, this, this kind of picture-taking is what I call picture-taking for dummies. Um, and nobody in here is offended by that. I hope not. If you are, I'm sorry. Because uh, I'm saying it even to myself. I'm not the greatest picture taker in the world, and that's why I'm thankful for um, the phone's easy features of taking photos. Um, I don't know precisely how everything's done. I'm not a photographer, but I know that when I take a picture, this man, this is really cool. The feature in here already picks out faces to focus on, or it takes objects to focus on. So when I hold this thing up, it finds something to focus on. And I wish you could see this because when it, it makes these little yellow boxes, and if you had never paid any attention, get your phone out and look at it. You know, it, it makes these yellow boxes. So it makes focusing easy. And, and I, I'll tell you why I believe focusing is important, because if I just hold this up and snap, I'm not really taking a picture of anything particular. I'm just taking a picture. But when I focus and I find an object to focus on, it takes a picture of what I need to take a picture of or what I want to take a picture of. So maybe, I, don't, I wish there was a way I could show you this, but I can't. So I'm, you're just going to have to take my word for it. But focus is important. Because if we're not focusing on anything, it really has no purpose. Um, in today's world, I want you to know that I believe Satan wants our focus to be on other things. And in the passage of Scripture that I read in Psalm 16, the psalmist says, I have set the Lord before me. And I believe what he's saying is he has set God as his focus. And in this time of year specifically, it's really easy for us to get things out of focus. Because what I believe happens is Satan wants us to focus on the things that we don't have, not the things that we do have. And he wants us to focus on ourselves instead of focusing on God being the provider of everything that we have and everything that we need. So I want you to think about what you're focusing on, what you're looking at, how clear is it, because we, we need to be focusing on God and putting him first in our lives and letting that be clear. And I believe when we do that, then God provides for us what we need, and we put him where he needs to be in our life, which is on top. That's what it means by allowing him to be God of our lives for you see just because god created us doesn't mean that we allow him to be god of our lives 
That's part of being a follower of Christ is recognizing that we can't allow him to be God of our lives without Jesus. So think about where your focus is at. Think about what you're looking at. And I pray that we're all looking to God to be the provider because God is already providing for us. Many times we miss it because we're not focused. Let's pray. Anybody want to pray this morning before we pray? God, we thank you that you do provide. I pray that you would help us to focus on you, to put you where you belong, which is right in front of us. You are worthy to be praised, and you have provided for us so much. Father, forgive us when we lose focus. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
Let's bow together. Father, this morning when it comes time for the message, we're going to be talking on keys to renewal. Renewal. So much is in that word. Lord, I've been part of observances where a husband and wife come together to renew their vows to stand before the church and a pastor to claim again this person is the person I love that I'll recommit myself to it's called a marriage renewal sometimes churches need renewal Sometimes they need to look again at the founding beliefs, the founding emphases that need to be implemented, Lord, to be effective. For, Lord, we want our church to count. We want our church to make a difference. We want our church to truly impact our community. And, Lord, we pray that we might be open to renewal as a congregation. Father, help us to know that's your desire, that the church might always be renewing itself, that we as individual Christians should be renewing our commitments to you because we want you really to be Lord of our lives. We want you to really be in control of our lives. We want to make a difference not only as a person, passing through this life, but as a congregation. Help us to know those keys to renewal. As we face the important days ahead, help us to be able to renew ourselves as individuals and as a church family. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. Our next hymn is exactly about renewal. 465 is revive us again, Lord. If we are willing, he will revive us. We're going to do this slightly different. The second stanza all the way through, I'd like for just the ladies to sing. The third stanza, just the men to sing, and then everybody on the last time through. Let's stand as we sing, please. Revive us again.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence here this morning. God, may you continue to stir our hearts toward you and knowing that we cannot revive ourselves, but it is you that revive. And may we trust you. And God, as we come forward with our offerings this morning, God, may you bless them. And may the attitudes of our heart be pointed toward you, for you are worthy to be praised. We thank you again for the blessings that you have given us. And may you continue to move in us today, our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from Acts chapter 4, it's verse 13 and then 18 through 20. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. 
For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. <coughs> in the season of the year when we do try to think about all that we are thankful for. I hope in your heart and life the, the glass is not half empty, it's half full. And I hope that you can, during this season of the year, consider how thankful you are. We're thankful, too, that we have a new little baby in our congregation, Tommy and Connie Green have a new granddaughter, and uh, Adeline, is that right, Tommy? Adeline, and uh, born just a few days ago, so we praise the Lord for that. You look at the title of the message for today, Keys to Renewal, Keys to Renewal. Two important words in that little title, of course, the first is keys. The word keys to me communicates 
importance, the key, the key idea in the conference, the key player of the team, the thing that must be had, the thing that must be understood, keys to renewal. Renewal in the church can happen if these certain keys, these certain truths are applied. Renewal in the church can happen. Keys to renewal. Then, of course, the word renewal. That's a word that we often use in Baptist circles, don't we? Renewal. To renew the church. To start anew. To recommit to the core principles that bring us together. To get back to the basic truths that make the church the church and make the church effective. A number of years ago in my church in Charlotte, we conducted a lay renewal weekend. I don't know if they still do those or not, but back then, back I think maybe in the 70s, that was a big emphasis. A group of lay people would come from another church, a team of about six or eight, and they would conduct conferences and special meetings to renew the church, to renew the lay people. There wasn't a preacher in the group. They were all lay people. And it was very effective, a lot of work, but it was called a lay renewal weekend, trying to renew the church, getting back to the basic principles and recommitting to the truths of the Christian faith. There are several keys to that spiritual renewal to the church moving forward. It has two thrusts. Number one, for the church to be renewed, individual members simply need to go deeper with the Lord. Now, I'm talking to you like I'm talking to you one-on-one. We individually need to commit ourselves and say, I need to pray more. I need to give more. I need to be more committed. I need to be a more obedient servant of Christ in my study and in studying God's word. I need to go deeper. The church cannot be renewed until the spiritual life of the people is deepened. It just won't happen. It happens corporately, yes, but it happens individually. One of the thrusts is we must go deeper with the Lord. The second thrust is with that deepening of our faith, we need to go out with that gospel. Going deeper and going out. Now we'll say more about that evangelism later. But that's how the church is renewed, those two thrusts. The big part of that evangelism thing is the book that that, uh, we studied on Sunday night a few months ago, The Church That God Builds, uh, by the pastor that's been there for about 40 years, Bill Russell. One of the big understandings of that church that has grown from, oh, maybe 100 to thousands, 15,000 in about 40 years, and the same pastor there, is that commitment of We've got to touch our community. What can we do to communicate the gospel? What can we do to move it out? What can we do to be a servant to the community? What can we do to draw people to the Christ? That is a key thing. And that's how that, why that church has grown to the degree it has. And I'll say more about that evangelism later. But there are other keys 
to this renewal. Another key is that we must have, if we want our church to be renewed, a deep sense of humility. A sense of humility. There is much more that the Lord wants us to do as an individual Christian, as a church. Do you know that a church can become proud? Look at our buildings. Look at our grounds. Look at who we are. Look at how much money we have in the bank. The church can be proud. Look at our past, our history. There are some churches that like to look back more than they like to look forward. And in that history, that heritage, they can become proud. Look at who we are. We have arrived. We are a model. That pride, my sense, if you think in terms of church renewal, that pride is a deadly sickness. Beware of the church or any church that says, look at what we have. Beware of the individual Christian who says, look at what I've done for the Lord. Look at what I've accomplished. What pride leads to is apathy. We've arrived. Look how well we're doing. It leads to the status quo. Look at what we have accomplished. You remember the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And John in those seven letters to the seven churches had a letter to Sardis. And what did he say about the sin of that church? He said to the letter of the church in Sardis, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. The problem with that church was pride. Look at who we are. Look at what we've accomplished. Now, on the other hand, I look at some churches that God has really blessed. Churches that have grown numerically and spiritually. Churches that have great impact on their community that have great resources, that have grown in many ways. But I have studied those churches and I've read about those churches. And if you see in the pastor and you see in the people, there is in those churches that are reaching people and really making an impact, there is a basic humility. We ought to be doing more. We ought to be praying more, giving more, growing more, touching more lives. There is a deep sense of humility. There's more that we ought to know, more that we ought to do. That deep spirit of humility. That is so important. Except for the grace of God, I'm like anyone else. I owe God more than I can give. Have that sense in your heart, my friend. God wants more of me. There's more than we can do. Oh, that I could give more. Oh, that I could give more of my time, my finances, my abilities. Lord, there's more that we can do. Look at the possibilities. Lord, there's so much more we can do. That deep sense of humility. Another key to renewing the church is a renewed commitment of unity. Unity. If you read the book of Acts, and we've been studying the book of Acts on Wednesday night, it's a great book to study. And there's so many keys as you read Acts and you think about the church and how it was. There was a deep sense of humility and a deep sense of unity. They were together. They worked together. They gave together. 
They gave away their possessions. They were working together for one goal and one purpose, and the early church grew because there was that love and that forward thrust, and what they were doing, there was a sense of great unity. You know what many churches are like? They're like a rowboat. Say a rowboat that can hold six people. One side and on one side is rowing this way, and on the other side, they're rowing the opposite way. And they're rowing, boy, they're trying, and boy, the, the boat's going nowhere because there's not that sense of unity. Why does that suffer, my friends? Because people prize their own personal opinion more than the welfare of the church body. Now, we all got opinions. We ought all ideas about how things ought to be done or what ought to be accomplished. We all have different opinions. We're not totally alike. But no personal opinion is more important than the welfare of the church body. No personal opinion is more important than the church, once it's unified and makes a decision, that's going forward. I remember a number of people in, in, in churches I've known that were a blessing to me. They had strong opinions. They had opinions about this, that, and the other, and they held them very uh, honestly and strongly, and that's okay. But I remember many of those people that were committed to the church and committed to the Lord and had an opinion and brought some issue to the church and the church decided to go another direction against what they felt. And their, their view of that was, well, the church has spoken. That's what the church is going to do. I'm going to get behind it. That's over. Those people were a great blessing. They were a blessing. They had opinions. But the unity of the church and the going forward of the church is more important than their particular viewpoint. Sometimes the church forgets or the people forget what is best for the church because of personal opinions. We love each other more than our personal opinions. That unity does not mean uniformity. We have different ideas. We have different concepts, differences of opinion. But that will always be secondary to the unity of the church and the will of the God for us. And my friends, listen, unity of the spirit, unity of the church as it moves forward is not something that just happens. It needs to be prayed for. It needs to be protected. It needs to be strived after that that unity will always stay in place. And when people come into this church, no matter what decisions it makes for the future, they will sense that these people are of one heart and one mind and they're moving forward and there is a sense of unity here. There's nothing more important than that. And for that renewal to happen, I mentioned this before, but I mentioned it again. For that renewal to happen, we need to reaffirm as church members and as brothers and sisters in Christ the very nature of the gospel and what the Bible talks about the nature of the gospel. And the nature of that gospel is evangelistic. The gospel is for the world, not so much for the church. The last words of Jesus spoke in the form of a call to evangelization that we must go with the gospel. The great commission, the last words he spoke on earth to his disciples the gospel by its very nature is a going thing, a missionary thing, a reaching out thing. How can we touch others with this gospel? This is what we need to be thinking about. 
Jesus said this about himself when he was asked, why did you come to this world? I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's all caught up in how we see the church. You see, my friends, if, if we feel that we are in this place and we study and we have our corporate life, which is good, and we do our things here at the church, some churches think, well, we're here for ourselves because we found Christ and we know him and we're growing and we're going to Sunday school and we're going to different groups and we're here for ourselves. We're here to nurture each other, to grow together, to serve each other. And certainly that's a part of it. But if that is the only way the church thinks of itself, we're here for each other. And that's it, 100%. Then what happens is that kind of church through the years becomes an inward church and the pastor is seen as a kind of chaplain. The pastor is here to take care of us, to make sure our needs are met, to be there for us, to serve us, to take care of us. And that kind of church, if it keeps that kind of philosophy through the years, will die. And I've seen it happen. But if the church takes a different view, that yes, we're here for each other. We're to care for each other. We're to love each other, visit each other, encourage each other. No doubt about that. But even beyond that, we're on a mission. We're on a mission. It was Christ's mission. And he talked about it when he went and told the parable of the lost sheep who left the 99 and went to go after the one. That was a parable of the heart of God. And the church is here for a mission to take the gospel to others, to think of ways, strategies by which we could make it get into the homes of people in this community. The whole reason for our being is to impact this community. If a church gets that mission and that understanding, it will not die. In time, it will flourish. That second church, the first church will die. It will. The second church will ultimately succeed. Why? Because that's the plan of God. Remember, Christ died not for the church, but for the world. I told you about the, uh, the book that we studied back on Sunday night a couple of months ago, the church that God builds, the church out of Louisville, Kentucky, that grew from about 100 to 15,000 in 40 years, gave 10 basic principles of how that church did that. And the very last one was evangelism. And he said he put that last because it was the bedrock of them all. He said, if we don't have that, we don't have anything. There was a heart for that, a desire for that, a hunger for that, a thirst for that. How can we reach people? How can we make an impact? How can we invite them? How can we open the doors? How can we do new things to make the church a really community church? Well, there needs to be a sense of humility. There needs to be a, a sense of unity. There needs to be a, a, at the heart of the gospel evangelism. And lastly, and this is what Justin talked about in the scripture for today. There needs to be a sense, what did he say? Boldness. When any, even the enemies of Jesus saw their boldness. 
If you read the whole book of Acts, that's why I love to read it. Everything they did was characterized by boldness. They were bold. They took a chance. They reached out. This may not work, but we're going to try it anyway. They were bold. You remember Peter's sermon at Pentecost? He was preaching to some of the people that put Jesus on the cross not many days from then. He was bold. In Acts 3, the first healing of the cripple, verses 1 through 6 of Acts 3, Peter didn't say, well, I don't know if this will work or not. Maybe it might not be so good if it doesn't work. Maybe we better not try to do that. No. He had a sense in his heart that God was going to heal this fellow. And he boldly went and said, stand up and walk. Acts chapter 5, when Peter was released from prison. And what does he do? He was put in prison because he was preaching. First thing the Holy Spirit told him to do when he left prison, go out and start preaching again. Well, Lord, that's why I got here to begin with. <laughs> but no, he was bold. He went out and preached immediately. The witness of Stephen, the whole seventh chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 53, was a witness to Stephen's boldness. He told kind of the whole history of Israel, and then at the very end he said, you rulers are the greatest enemy of God. You are against Jesus. He knew that would inflame them, but he had to say it. He was bold. Acts 8, 26, the witness of Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. He was suddenly out there in the, in the desert, and he saw this, the, the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. He said, go up to that chariot and talk to him. Well, maybe that guy's not that friendly. Maybe he doesn't want to talk to me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, to uh, embarrass him. No, he went right up to him. Do you know what you're reading? Acts 10, 34 through 35, where uh, Peter goes and uh, speaks to Cornelius. And he says, I see that God is no respecter of persons. He was still a little bit of a Jew. That was part of his mindset. He wasn't even supposed to go into a house of a Gentile, but he did anyway. He was bold. The leaders, the people spoke boldly. They tried. They gave it their best. All the three missionaries of the journeys of Paul. Well, examples of boldness. Went into a home, went into a city. First thing he did was found a church and start. He had to be bold. We must never forget, my friends, that God has plans for us greater than we can ever imagine. And we have a great God. We have a great gospel. And most of the times, we are just too timid. A timid approach to God's work will never do. God's I mean, man's method is to wait for opportunities. God's method is to create them, to create them. Man prepares his strength before he puts forth. God makes his strength perfect in weakness. He uses us despite ourselves. Armed with true humility. Armed with a deep sense of unity that we're all moving together and that sense of unity can be felt in the congregation. Realizing the very essence of what we do is evangelistic, we must be trying to reach others any way we can. Undergirding all that with a spirit of boldness and faith and the ability to do, this church can renew itself.
The truth of the fact is, my friends, in modern America and the way that the society of this country is going, business as usual will no longer be enough. It will no longer be effective. Our prayer is, Lord, give us the faith, the zeal, the courage that the early church had. Help us, Lord, to renew not only ourselves as a church family, but help us to renew our faith as individuals. Then as we do that, we are preparing ourselves for a new day in the life of this church. Help us to renew the church, Lord. Help us through your Holy Spirit to do it. Father, if there be any here that want to come to this church from another, anyone that wants to renew their walk with you, I stand ready to receive them as the service ends. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. We're going to change our invitation hymn to number 309 in our hymnal, please. Lord, I'm coming home. 309. Let's stand, please, as we sing. at Boiling Springs Baptist Church located at 307 South Main Street in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. Come and worship with us at your next opportunity. Thank you for listening.